The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to Matthew. Glory be to you, Lord. Seeing the crowds, Jesus went up on the mountain, and when he sat down, his disciples came to him, and he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when men revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. The Gospel of the Lord. So as we are still early in, uh, in ordinary time, we have this uh, beautiful teaching of Christ presented to us because this is also, uh, as we are kind of like in the beginning of this season, this is also the beginning of our spiritual life. These are the principles, the foundations for any real growth in the spiritual life. As St. Thomas Aquinas, whom we celebrated yesterday, as he points out so eloquently in the Office of Readings, uh, he says that basically, to paraphrase, uh, what is essential for the spiritual life in terms of growth in the spiritual life is that we look to Christ on the cross, Christ crucified, and that in contemplating Him, we learn to despise everything that He despises in that moment, and we learn to desire everything that He desires in that moment. And so if we look at Christ on the cross, we can see that He despises everything that is earthly, as it is all stripped from him and taken from him. He despises human honor. He despises possessions. He despises all of these things. They are nothing. And what does he desire? He desires salvation. He desires love. He desires that we will come to know the Heavenly Father. He desires all of these very beautiful things. And in contemplating Christ crucified, that is how we contemplate the route towards perfection. And that route towards perfection, the interior of what Christ despises and desires, is revealed to us in the Beatitudes. In the Beatitudes, we have God's thoughts, His own thoughts, on human perfection, on our perfection in terms of moving towards Him in our imitation of Him and in growing in our likeness to Him. As one commentator points out, is that living out the Beatitudes is simply living out the life of God living out the divine life. When Christ comes to reveal to us the life of God, the inner life of the Trinity, 
He does all of these things. He asks nothing of us that he has not himself done. And so as we look at the Beatitudes, we can see the beauty of what Christ is giving us here in its simplicity, but also as it overturns all of human thinking in terms of the things that we normally pursue with all of our heart and with all of our desires. The Lord overturns all of that. And so seeing the crowds, the Lord looks out and he sees the multitude. But he is also God, and so that seeing of the crowds extends beyond those who are simply around him at that moment. His penetrating gaze looks out into the future, into the past. He sees all the souls whom he has created, everyone who will be obliged to live by these principles. In seeing the crowds, he sees also us. As God, he can look from that moment in time and he can perceive us present here as we turn to contemplate what he said on that mountain. We are present to the all-seeing gaze of Jesus Christ. As he looks out, he sees us and he invites us up the mountain with him. Jesus went up on the mountain. What we have here is the Lord as now the new Moses, as the perfection of all the teaching of the Old Testament is going to reach its pinnacle in the one who is the fulfillment, Jesus Christ. He heads up the mountain. The one who has created the universe. He now seats himself on one of the pinnacles of his natural creation, a mountain. He seats himself there as the perfection of all teaching because he is God himself. One of the commentators notes that it says that when he sat down, it says, he opened his mouth and taught them, saying. That's a pleonism. And so what it is, it's an excess of words to say one thing. But in order to do that, well, the reason for doing that is that we might focus on this one thing that is being said. Is that the Lord is now opening his mouth and teaching Never before in history up to this point has God taught in this way than he did through his Son. This is God speaking to his people directly. Whereas Moses had the privilege of speaking to God face to face, that privilege is now given to all of God's people. They can sit there and speak face to face with God, a great mystery. And he opened his mouth, and he taught them, saying, all of these things seem superfluous, but you can see that Matthew is trying to emphasize the beauty of this moment. He opened his mouth. God opened the mouth that he has assumed in terms of his human nature, and he will speak to them in audible words that they can hear, no longer in mysterious ways or obscurity, but with clarity. And then he begins, he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. This word for poverty, it means literally stripped down to the point of begging. Stripped down to the point of begging. You have nothing. It means to be stripped to the point of just being you. That's it. Nothing else. You have nothing else. This is a very powerful image because this is what God is in himself. God doesn't have things he is not rich because he has many possessions. God simply is. He is by himself, satisfied in himself. 
And so blessed are the poor in spirit, those who are like God in the fact that they are stripped of everything and just themselves and are dependent upon God for everything, even what is most essential. One of the commentators says, you could translate this and say, this is basically a description of those who live a life of gratitude for everything, for even the smallest and most essential things. First and foremost, breath, without which life ceases to exist. How grateful are we for the breath that we have, for the air that sustains us and keeps us living, or do we even think about it? How deep does our gratitude go towards God? How thankful are we even for the most essential gifts that he gives us? How dependent are we upon him? Blessed are the poor in spirit. And so this is to do with spiritual breath as well. How much do we actually desire God? Do we desire him with the same intensity as if we were drowning and were gasping for that breath of life? Is that the intensity of the desire that we have in our spirit for God and for his divinity? As the Psalms say, do we pant for God? Do we desire him as we desire breath? And then he says, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. They are like God, and so also they then inherit and share in the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, those who are sorrowful, not for the things that we shouldn't be sorry about, but for the things that should most tr truly cause, cause us sadness, which is sin and its consequences. Do we mourn for the things that God mourns for? Are we sorry for the things that God feels sorrow over? Do we imitate God in this way? And says, for they shall be comforted. I read another commentary, which was also very beautiful. That word for comforted in the Greek, it means to be taken to one's side. It means to be taken from the isolation of loneliness and taken into the company of another. And so what the commentator was saying is that blessed are those who mourn the consequences of sin, which have separated us from the one who loves us with infinite love. And that in this isolation of sin, we have no means by which we can, of our own strength and power, reunite ourselves with God and so be consoled, be taken to his side or have him taken to our side. And so in response to our mourning, to our inability, the Lord himself then instigates that for us. He takes flesh. He becomes man. And so the God who was distant to us because of sin walks upon the face of the earth. He draws us close to himself. And so those who mourn sin and mourn its effects, they are then drawn close to the one who loves sinners, the one who has come to bring salvation. We are truly comforted and consoled by Christ. Blessed are the meek, those who are gentle, patient, for they shall inherit the earth Meekness is not the absence of power. It's just the discipline to use it where we should use it. It's not the absence of anger. It's just not being governed by anger. Meekness is that ability to wait for God to act, 
not to exert our own power where it is not where God wants it. Meekness is operated by prudence. For they shall inherit the earth. And so we pray for that grace of patience, which is not inactivity. Patience is simply timing, as Bishop Bolton Sheen says. Patience is timing. It doesn't mean not acting. It just means that I don't act imprudently at the wrong time. It means that I wait for God to reveal the moments for action and that I allow my power in a certain sense and my anger to be governed by that divine wisdom. For they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. There we can turn our eyes towards the cross and see the imitation of Christ most profoundly as he cries out, I thirst. A thirst which goes beyond simply his natural thirst as we can see he is completely detached from all of these things and that he willingly accepts all of those sufferings. That thirst is for love. That thirst is for righteousness. And we are called to imitate him. Blessed are the merciful those who extend love towards those who are undeserving of their love. That's mercy. And that it is not a high and haughty love. It doesn't come down from above as if it's bestowing something that the person just doesn't deserve. Mercy comes from below in humility. It serves those who are undeserving of service. It loves those who are undeserving of love. And it is an imitation of Christ because that's what he does on the cross. Blessed are the pure in heart, those who have an undivided heart, that their love is pure, that it is for God above all things and then for all things for his sake. Blessed are the peacemakers, those who work for peace and do not give in to any things that might cause dissension. Don't give in to gossip. Don't give in to slander. Don't give in to all of these things which cause an unending hum of disturbance but rather speak words of peace, speak words of love, speak the words of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Blessed are those who endure suffering for an intention, for love of God. Blessed are you when men revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Because in that moment, we are most like Christ crucified. We endure what he endured. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. Amen.